my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy, Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy Polish Paramedics Day, Joseph. Please come back, Polish Paramedics. Coming up on today's show, it's Poker Movie Monday on a Wednesday. Yes. It's actually Poker Movies Monday on a Wednesday as we are revisiting the movie California Split with the writer of the film, Joseph Walsh. Joey, as he's called, has also published a book about his time in the entertainment industry, which I have read. And let me tell you, it is incredible. Sorry, you read a book from start to finish, from cover to cover? I read the entire book. (gasps) I was planning on only reading like the pertinent parts. And (laughs) I got to tell you, I mean, the font's pretty big in it. It's a it's a pretty decent it's a pretty decent size font. I don't know if you guys can see that or not. Anyway, um, it didn't take a while. It was 300 pages, but I'd probably say it's more like 200 with a regular size font. Anyway, it was so interesting. Uh, starts off as a child actor, uh, struggles for a while, becomes a professional gambler, and then finally writes California Split and sort of like redeems his... Anyway, um, it, it, it's fantastic. I'm going to send it to Paul Schrader because there's a lot of overlap that they have. James, you got to read it. I will. This look. If if you've gone to the effort of actually reading a book, then yeah. I absolutely have to get on it board. Was with so that. good. Anyway, we'll be talking to him about all of that and many of the stories contained therein on the show today. Uh, and it is Poker Movies Monday, plural, because we are finally tackling Money Plane <laughs> on today's show. Yes, we'll be talking about that movie. Can we call it a movie? Is it a movie? Uh, I don't know if it ever played in a cinema, but not being funny in the last 18 months, a lot of movies haven't played in cinemas. That's true. All right. Well, we'll be talking about that series of sounds and images as well as serving it up as today's super fan subject to Brian Fahey from Ireland. Uh, Before we get to the movie talk, let's get to the movie talk. Indeed. Well, first of all, Joe, you still haven't seen No Time to Die. Pathetic. Uh, this podcast remains a bond I was too busy zone. reading books. I mean, that is bizarre. I Also, knowing that you are very keen to get on board with movies early because, like me, you're exposed to a lot of social media and exposed to potential spoilers, I'm surprised you've managed to stay the course this long. I'm going to naively assume that in the next seven days, you're going to consume this film. I, I hope so. I mean, I'm going to consider it a work project, right? So we can talk about it next week. Is otherwise, I might not. It's weird, you know. Movies. I don't really know anybody that's dying to go back to the movies here. Not that people are are trying to be safe. Yeah. It's just that they're prioritizing other things first. But I I I will see it in the next week, so we can talk about it next week. Uh, also, it's just that there's so much stuff to watch. It's yeah, really hard to keep Joe, up. Joe Bond is Bond. Come on. It is, but. Stuff's at home, like Billion Season 5. That's at home. I'd have to go anywhere for Billion Season 5, yeah, which I don't... I haven't started it. This is the one that kind of got interrupted midway through, right? They released yes. the first few episodes last year, and now they're concluding Season 5. It got interrupted midway through. It's finished now. Like, not just finished production, but finished airing. And I think they've already... Or very close to starting production on Season 6. Right. So I was like, might be time to get going on Billions again. I can't remember if I talked about this or or not. Uh, I started a comedy series called The Other Two that is absolutely hilarious. Uh, if folks out there want to check it out about uh, the two siblings of a YouTube sensation. 
um, who are also trying to be in the entertainment industry, but he ends up just accidentally becoming famous for singing a song. What platform's this on? Here it's on. It, w- it was a Comedy Central show in the states, so it's on HBO Max here. So whatever shows like your Warner Brothers properties, I guess, or, or Viacom, they're all over maybe. the shop. I mean, yeah. might be on Sky Comedy, could be on Comedy Central UK. Um, hard to know. It's very, very funny send up of like the current state of the uh, entertainment business. Uh, as part of Horror Movie Month, James, I know you're not a big horror guy. I- I'm sorry, Joe. It really actually pains me that you're prioritizing horror movies over Bond. Well, this that's how far behind I am because A Quiet Place 2 came out. was like the first, I think really the first movie that came out post-pandemic. It got uh, pushed same way Bond did, only they didn't push it seven, eight times like Bond did. They were like first yeah. movie back. And look, A Quiet Place, I know you're not a big horror guy. A Quiet Place was excellent, was not like super gory or it was quite scary, but it looked, you know, more of like an alien style horror movie, right? right. Where like, you know, it's it's about the suspense. Quiet Place 2, I watched it just as good as the first one. John Krasinski really knocked it out of the park with both these movies. Um, the whole cast, everything about it, both of them really, really great. So I couldn't recommend both of those movies enough. Cool. Um, just a quick Hello to everyone who's got in touch on the Poker in the Ears channel on the PokerStars Discord server in the last seven days. A reminder that we always put the link in the podcast description if you want to join the conversation on Discord. And shout out, advert, we need super fans. We've got quite a few slots open in the coming weeks. So there is a dedicated channel on that Discord server for you to apply to be a super fan on this show. Come on and potentially win some prizes. And remember, you get to pick the specialist subject. I know a lot of people pick movies and TV shows. Doesn't have to be the case. Remember, just recently we had Kieran Scully answering questions about world capital cities so we're willing to consider a wide variety of topics willing to get patrick to put in the time doing the research so please come on the show we promise not to bite hard um (laughs) i guess we do have to cover a bit of poker news we are not going to run through a shopping list of every single player who's won a world series of poker bracelet in the last couple of weeks but do want to highlight that phil helmuth has made two final tables More on that in a moment. First, um, congratulations to Jason Kuhn. He won his first bracelet in the 25K Heads Up Championship. Pretty cool. Ari Engel won his second in the 10K 08 Championship. That was an event where Helmuth finished fifth. And Anzino won his third bracelet in the 10K Stud Championship. That was the final table where Helmuth came fourth. And I do feel, Joe, that Zino's win has been slightly overshadowed by Helmuth's antics. At that final table. Yeah, so so we don't completely overshadow. Let me just say how much I love Ant Zeno. Such a nice dude. Obviously a crazy talented poker player considering the number of tournaments he's won. And so I do want to give him the credit he is due. But yes, all anybody is going to be talking about is the F-bomb laden tirade that Phil went on. Got into a discussion about this with uh, Maria and uh, Maria Ho and Josh Molina yesterday because Molina was a little bit upset by this. And Understandably. I, yeah, see, the weird thing is this. Like, I, okay, so I, this is a weird one for me. Do I think it's right when he does this? No. Do I think he should be allowed to do it? No. But it doesn't offend me as like, you know, people are like, oh, this is he's a bad ambassador for poker. 
and that may be true in the strictest sense of ambassador. For me, I'm not really sure I think it's bad for poker. I don't want to encourage it, but I think at worst it's net neutral for poker. No. I can't see why no. this is bad for poker. No, no. Joe, as someone who spends every hour they're not making podcasts with you and live streaming with you, looking at ways to market and grow this game, I can tell you objectively, we've got years of research which shows one of the biggest things that stops people wanting to play poker is the intimidation factor. It is the fear that the game is filled with assholes and nasty characters or that people are going to get shouted at for doing something wrong. Exhibit A, Helmuth. His behavior cannot, cannot be condoned. And I don't know whether this is a complete mental breakdown on his part. I don't know. And this is what I suspect it is. This is Phil Helmuth playing a role. And this is Phil Helmuth doing what he thinks the cameras want. Stop. Don't be that cliche. It's definitely not that. It's definitely not the latter. Like, this is a guy who, and I, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's a mental break, but this is a guy who uh, is genuinely wearing his emotions on his sleeves. Again, I'm not saying it's okay. He just has no filter, no control. I think it's more of a um, just a, whatever. I, I wouldn't say it's uh, a break so much as someone who is incapable of having an inner monologue because we have... Many of us have had that inner monologue at a poker table and just keep it to ourselves. Uh, th I think that maybe some of it, his body has been trained to not keep it in because of this role he thinks he needs to play. Whereas in the past, he's let little bits of it out and now he's just really bad at, at whatever that steam valve is of keeping just little bits of it inside and all just exploding. But this is someone, no, that is just, it's just an emotional uh, outburst th that is um, sad in many ways. It is but sad. I, it's tragic. I, and the worst possible defense that anyone can offer, including Helmuth himself, is that it's because he cares. It's because he's passionate. Because guess what? That is the defense that every single bully brings out. It's because they care so much. It's because they're passionate. No, it does not excuse you behaving like an asshole. But I also think there is a major difference between ranting and having a swear-filled tirade and actually calling someone, and I'm not going to say the full world, word, an MF, because that is verbal abuse bordering on verbal assault. And I don't like, Joe, calling out other live event operators. I know people feel that I'm coming from a position of bias as an employee of PokerStars, but was the TD asleep on the job? How do you not intervene? How do you not, at the very least, pull him aside and say, tone it down? How do you not give a penalty? Yeah. This is not how the game should be presented on the world stage. This behavior should never be condoned or excused by anyone. And it's blatantly unacceptable. He's out of line and the TD is out of line for not tackling it. Yeah, I agree with all that. I definitely do. I just, I think that obviously you know that, you know, to your point before that people being intimidated at the table is a problem. But what we don't know, the same way steroids are bad for baseball, um, people hitting 500 home runs a season actually kind of is good for baseball. It's really hard to say how many people will see this clip and be attracted to poker because of it. I understand that life. it turns some people off, but it does... There is something about it. There's a reason why whenever I meet someone who is not involved in the poker world, they know who Phil Helmuth is. Yes. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I said he should, 
certainly be stopped. He should certainly be given a penalty. I'm not encouraging it. I'm just saying I don't know that it's as damaging to the game as people think it is. Two things on that. Number one, I would be concerned about anyone who is attracted to the game because of that. Secondly, I do think there's a big difference between Phil Helmuth's tirades from those classic World Series shows from 06, 07, 08, and what we saw in the last there few days. definitely is. It there used absolutely to be, is. It used to have an air of comedic quality, especially when he's talking to his wife on the rail, right? When that is becomes foul-mouthed, F-bomb-filled abuse directed at other players, it crosses the line. Just as his rant against Christian Dragomir crossed the line and he deserved a penalty for that, which was then retracted, which it never should have been. But this, I've never seen him go like this. I've never seen him behave like this. And I hope that we don't see it again. It is, quite frankly, inexcusable. Um, moving on. Uh, and coming up shortly, you want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator? Money plane. We are going to discuss. Also not a good advertisement for poker. No, it's not. We are going to discuss, though, (laughs) one of the worst gambling themed movies ever made. But first, we are going to revisit one of the best examples of this um, small genre, shall we say. Back in the summer of 2019, more than two years ago, Joe, we reviewed California Split. So I would like everyone, if you haven't heard it already, to check out episode 156 of the Poker in the Ears podcast. We interviewed Bruce Buffer on that show, and we also talked about California Split. So go back and check out our review. In the years, in the months that have followed, I'm pleased to say that Martin Harris from the PokerStars blog put us in touch with the writer of that movie. And I'm even more thrilled to say that he is with us right now. Joseph Walsh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, Joseph, how does it feel to know that 40 years later, you've still written one of the best poker slash gambling movies of all time? Uh, In one word, fantastic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Give us a few more. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you definitely more. Um, What I accomplished in that is something I always wanted to do. I wanted to write a film that would never, never grow old. That was my first intention in that, that you could look at it many years later, which is what's happened. I can't believe that it's grown year after year and a year. I mean, it's amazing to me, but I wanted to keep it to a point where for the gamblers, you know, I've been a gambler all my life. Yeah. So, and I, and I played poker. That's another whole thing. Poker has been a very big part of my life, but I wanted to keep it to a point where you can watch this film 50, 60 years later, 80 years later. And the feeling the same thing as the gambler's attitude is there. Um, it's a funny story about that. I didn't want to dumb it down at all. And that's and, a good and thing. I was fr- yeah, that was a good thing, and I, I was smart about that, too, because the studios, I knew. Everybody fell in love with it, you know, uh, and I wasn't sure because I'm writing it now really for the world of the gamblers and the gambler, you know, and I wasn't sure, but I knew that I worked a long time on the characters and their motivations and all that stuff, so I knew I had gotten something good, and it, and it translated. Uh, my agent who had read it right away, which didn't call me that many times, by the way, 
which it said it's, it's the five greatest scripts he's ever read. So I said, well, guy, that is fantastic. <laughs> you know, uh, so he said, no. And, and a funny thing, because I could never tell the story before, but he said to me, uh, he says, no question. I'm going to sell this. I said, well, okay. Being a gambler and knowing he was a gambler, I said, how about, how about we bet $300? I bet you $300. You don't sell it. You know? And he said, you got it. Great hedge, wasn't it? (laughs) 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 All I know is for the $300 and the whole thing, I couldn't wait to pay in the $300, you know? I bet. So, but yeah, so I, um, so I did. And, and when the studios did it, when Columbia, uh, said yes. And Altman, by the way, Bob Altman was in London and he sent him the script. First it was Spielberg really was uh uh steven but we had sent it on to altman altman came back within 12 hours and said absolutely i'm doing this picture now when it came down to it i knew that i could be hit with one question from the studio and i was so prepared for this guys you'll love this i i went in and Columbia, it's funny now. Now, of course, I got about one hundred and twenty-seven dollars in the world at this point when they said yes to it, right? And now they say to me, uh, "Oh, they're, they're greeting me like one of the family, right?" Oh, they're telling me stories. They're telling stories on one another, about their family life and their children, everything, right? So he says to me, one of the the executives. I knew it was coming, by the way. He said, "You know." You, you're doing something in the beginning of the picture and, and you go into this low ball thing. And I knew playing Raz in the beginning. I mean, are we kidding? <laughs> nobody, had, nobody ever heard of it. <laughs> so, I, so I say to him, he says to me, uh, uh, can't you make uh, four kings beat four queens so the audience can get it? And I said, I could, if you want to lose money. <laughs> well, that, that was the key to Hollywood, right? If you want to lose money, I stopped the whole room. There was five executives and the head of Columbia. What? What? Lose money? <laughs> they were they're frozen with the gagging suddenly, you know? And I said, well, let's call it reverse commercialism, guys, okay? <laughs> reverse commercialism? Yeah, you see, I've made this film. I said, let's start with the premise that we love movies, right? We all love movies here. Who do you root for in the movies when you go there? You root for your hero, yeah. right? You don't really get into what he does. Sometimes you don't even quite know what he does. It's kind of that, you know, that's who you'll root for. You'll be rooting for Elliot Gould and George Siegel. That's it. But if you dumb it down and I'm writing, there's another whole world out there of gamblers. And I want that world. That world to come in and say, oh, my God, you got to see this movie. I think it's written for us. And all I can tell you is when I was finished that little rap, they just turned around and said, do not change a thing. Do not change a thing. I actually and wanted he- to I wanted to read this excerpt from your book, and I've never done this before. We've had authors on before, but this really resonated with me and I think our entire audience. This one paragraph here. 
Ever since audiences have been going to the movies, all they're interested in is whether their heroes win or lose. Everything else is mostly beside the point. But in the case of California Split, if you dumb down the picture, you will turn off the gambling world, which is something you do not want because that world is much wider than they could ever imagine. And the fact that you knew this, this is something that we we know because mm-hmm. we're in the gambling world, right? And we get pissed right. off at every gambling movie yeah. when they get something wrong, when something isn't right. And the yeah. fact that you knew that even people who didn't know, right? Even if you don't know consciously that they're getting it wrong, something still feels off about it. That was so fucking sharp. I absolutely love that. And that's the exact reason why the movie holds up so well. And it does feel timeless. And I love the fact that you mm-hmm. took that bold move to make it low ball. And it's not a sop to the audience. I think it does it quite well in that opening scene in the card room where you've got like the tutorial videos like running on the screen, which kind of set the scene for what the game is and how it works. It kind of grounds uh, an audience unfamiliar with poker in that game without being too patronizing. But I'm just interested, Joey, if things had worked out differently, say for example, Spielberg had made the movie, it feels to me like it's lightning in a bottle. Your screenplay, Robert Altman, Elliot Gould, George Segal, you take one of those elements away, would it have been the success that it then became? Uh, The movie that stood the test of time? Uh, James, you're probably right. I think I got very lucky and that all those elements came together. I mean... Uh, 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 you know, George is fabulous in the picture, but Elliot, I mean, we grew up together. We were kids in professional children's school when we first met, you know, and, 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 and of course I was, I was the Elliot Gould character in our relationship. I'm the one who's taking his $60 dance money because I, I got 15 college games. I can't miss. I got this bookmaker. I tell Elliot, I can't lose. I can't lose. I, I know these are 15 locks with the spreads. I go to the thing, bet them. 14 wins. Joe knows this because, of, uh, you know, the story goes on in, in, in the book. And I have 14 wins. And the last one, I'm winning. It's a pick game. And it's Purdue over Iowa. And, and I'm winning 14 nothing, And it ends in a push. 14 all. But you don't lose. I got 14 wins and a push. And now with $150, I put every kind of poly together, $15, $20 to this one. And it went on and on. And I go in and it totaled out to something like $1,156 win. Wow. When we're broke. Now, of course, Elliot now, because... And, and what year I, is this, Joey? Because I think that's also relevant because, absolutely. you know, uh, $1,100 means different things depending on what year we're in. Okay, yeah, well... You're talking the 50s? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Early 50s. Yeah. Early 50s, yeah. Uh, it's in a ton of money. Well, he freaks. He's just... He's looking at me like I'm some kind of an alien. And uh, I and I'm still pissed off at that one push that got away. (laughs) (laughs) That one push, and I and I I go there, and the bookmaker was classic, a little Italian grocery store, you know, and a bookmaker, and he hands me back my slip, and the eleven hundred and thirty six, thirty seven dollars, something close to like, and he said. Take this fucking thing and frame it. <laughs> <My> <laughs> <slip>. <laughs> 
and then and and the truth of it then i i probably made elliot a gamble at that point he never was because now he's listening to me we then bet the bookmaker for two and a half months never having a losing day not a not a no, lost a bet but never a losing day always profit that's impressive to the tune yeah to the tune now with two kids who were broke from the east side of new york and uh, you know at that point and now we got twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> and Elliot says to me, well, we got all this money. I would love to visit my father in Miami. And I said, let's do it. It sounds great to me. So we go in and, you know, being very, very hip, both of us, we buy two, hamel, two camel hair coats. And we go, we go to Miami. It's 92 and humid. <laughs> and, and the hipsters, the both of us, now I got our coach. I said, Elliot, I don't think the coats work at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Bermuda shorts or something here. We got to do, do something to sell these coats to somebody. But anyway, it's interesting because the first time, and we had been friends, uh, you know, ever, ever since that first meeting in school when I... When he actually walked in, professional children's school, I had been there. He actually walked in. Mr. This is Mr. Gould now. And he's the, has got this whole frogman outfit on with a spear and everything. And he comes off the elevator. Just a, it was on a building, this school it was in a building for floor. And I'm saying, oh, God, kid, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in big trouble. <laughs> and that's how we met. I, I didn't realize later on, I thought, are you kidding me? But it was April Fool's Day, so he had he had some sort of a point here, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so here we are in um, uh, in Miami. We go to the Fountain Blue to see the show and all that thing. We got all our money, and here is the most startling beauty you have ever seen headlining the show. <laughs> Joe's probably smiling already because he knows the story. And we realize it's, oh my God, it's Sandy Preston. And we think, oh my God, she's from our school. This this was the girl, by the way, that nobody could nobody could uh, talk to her because all your mouth just hung up and then you were drooling, basically. You know, you didn't know what to say. And I I I got gave the major D like twenty dollars to slip of a message that you might remember me from Mrs. Larvey's French class, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know, I Sandy were in the thing. Oh, good to see you making. Well, she got right back. And that was it. <laughs> I, mean, I was in heaven for five days, just wildly sexual affair. Elliot now's visiting his father. He doesn't have a friend anymore. And now we go to the track, go to the dog, the dog track. Never got a dog that won a race. Lose all the money. Oh, no. Everything. We, I took the whole wad with me. Elliot couldn't control me at that point. <laughs> I was gone. I said, Elliot, again, I was always, don't worry about it. Hey, we'll, we'll go back and I'll make a fortune again. There's no, there's no problem here. Uh, what what I, I'm curious about that isn't in the book is the, the things that have come pe- after California split. Like, let's say, I don't know if you've seen it, Mississippi Grind, for example, 
um, very similar to California Split. Do, do you see that as homage? Was it? Uh, were you offended? Yeah. Did you feel ripped off? No, no. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was. Uh, they said it. I read it in a column. It said, it said it was an homage to California Split. So the two guys came out. That's what got me to see it. Even even Rounders when it came out uh, was influenced by California yeah, of course. Split, especially the reading at the table. And he and he knew it. And he said to the guy in a gambling bookstore, he wanted to talk to me. We we're both very young. He said, uh, "Would he? Would he?" Uh, talk to me i'd love to talk to him so i said to howard schwartzman he owned a gambler's bookstore in vegas and i said absolutely i had seen it around this i i saw the influence i saw the readbacks of the the, the the players and all that stuff but i liked the movie so it's very easy to talk he never did make the call so we never did connect by the way okay but um it, yeah so it, i never took it homage is great Okay, I'm I mean, glad to hear that because you know we you know obviously talk about gambling movies all the time on this show, and we also really like Mississippi Grind. I guess the the next thing I'm curious about is how do you feel about how poker has changed over the years? Because you know you've been there for low ball and for stud and for five cards, five card and seven card it. stud, and now it's all Texas Hold'em. And do you still play? And and what era of poker do you wish you could have frozen time in? Uh. Well, I went through every, Joe, I went through all, just like you said, the phases of the five-card stud, the seven-card stud, the draw poker, the Raz, all that stuff. The game, and of course, Hold'em when I came here, but uh, the game I found the most interesting, and it actually saved my life at that point because it was like, I came to California, everybody would said, hey, you're a child star, you're going to work all the time, don't worry, you know, whole thing, but it wasn't. I got jobs here. I did a bonanza. I did a, you know, a combat I, grinding, you know, I barely could pay the rent. And so I just figured one night I got, I'd get invited to a poker game, uh, which I came from a poker game, by the way, last night <laughs> to be with you guys this morning. Excellent. <laughs> cool. <Yeah. laughs> so it's, it's perfect. Right. And I was in the plus column. So we get that done right away. So that makes it even better. Nice. But, um, it was high, low and, you know, split the pot. Yeah. And by the way, you're going to hear the first time, because I've never said this before to anybody, people have never asked, where'd you get the title California split for this movie? This is a first guys. <laughs> I've never talked cool. about it. It, it. Even on interviews. It was a guy, Altman and I was standing there and I had a, a title for it and all that stuff. And, and I'm talking about high low, and I and how I love and I love this game. Uh, and he said, "Oh, California Split." And Altman just said, "I love California Split," <laughs> and that was it. I love California. He meant that that's called out here. I guess high low was called California Split. California Split the pot. So, but what I liked about that game is there's so much. Uh, maneuvering you could do in that game it's a very talented game to know uh there's a lot to think about in uh in in split games and especially stud split games where you know with everybody's board showing if you're the kind of guy that likes 
using your brain and not just, you know, using your cojones. Um, there's a yeah. lot to think about in stud games. Absolutely. And, and, and misdirection in the play. Are you going high, low? It looks obvious, but not. In, and somehow, somehow I really could play the game. And that was the key. I mean, if I didn't gamble on everything else, you know, and even on the, the horses and the things and baseball and, 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 and football, even though I was, a, I really was even here, I was a terrific handicapper on football, probably the best in California. And that's how I got in. So how things work for you? That's how I got in with, you know, big age and Alan Ladd became my, my friend and everybody came my friend because they wanted my selections. <laughs> James, so, James, Steven Spielberg becomes friends with Joey because they watch Monday Night Football together. Like, can you imagine that? Like, sitting in a room so and cool. like, Spiel it's like I ridiculous. Mean, just before we let you go, Joey, I just want to ask one last question about California Split because I believe mm -hmm. that you have actually written a sequel to the movie. I'm not sure if we'll ever get to see it, but I'm intrigued to know at least where it picks up and, and what the basic outline is. Well, I'm glad, James, I'm glad you asked that. Now, for anybody, fans who are interested, I don't know. Joe has read it. Did you see the five minute? If you go to uh, YouTube, just put in Joseph Walsh, Elliot Gould, tribute to George Siegel. It's a five minute bit. It's it's honor. It's funny, but it's also touching. It's it's about the day George died, and in it. Because the guys were trying to get me to do the sequel for years and years and years. I yeah. just, for whatever reason, I couldn't, I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was being offered everything else to do and I didn't want to do it. I didn't know what to do with California wow. split again. So I didn't do it. And then during the pandemic, I decided to, you ever see a movie, uh, my dinner with Andre when the two guys talk. Yeah. My dinner, just a talking movie. Louis Mal directed it. And they talk about life. And I said, and as I'm watching this, I said, that's what I'll do. Lunch with Bill and Charlie. Lunch with Bill oh, and Charlie. Cool. And I thought to myself, I said, can I do this again? Can I embody these characters again after 40 years? Can I do it? I said, just do it. Try to do it. What are you doing right now? You're not doing it. And I wrote it. And, uh, you know, I... I'm I'm guided. I we haven't gotten into that part of the conversation, but I spiritually guided right now. I feel that I can ask Kaya Sauce to help me, and I said, "Help me on this one. Help me, help me to body these guys and make them right." And he said, 35, 40 years later, and I came out with the seventy-one script, which was going to be made. I was convinced it's going to be made into like my dinner with Andre. Right? It will cost no money. You'd see Elliot yeah. and George at character. At lunch meeting after 40 years, and I said, what would they talk about? Well, if you put that five minutes that I just said on Joseph Walsh, Elliot Gould, Tribute to George, it comes right up. And at the end of that five minutes, it's the link to that script, which would have been the movie. Now, I don't want to almost give it, give this away, but you'll see when George died Yes, in the day I finished it. Wow, oh, man. The day I finished it, and I knew, guys, by the way, I knew that my wife was in the other room and a phone rang.
And I'm so excited about the script. I think I got it. That's why you should read it. You guys like Californians, but listen to the two of them 35, 40 years later. Because I gave it as a free link. Just tune into it and enjoy. If you like these characters, see where they are uh, many years later. And now the day, like I said, the day he died, I'm so excited. How am I going to spring it on the guys? I, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Okay, conference call? What kind of call? I'm going to spring it on them and they're going to be so delighted. And the phone rings. I don't even think about that. Now, my when the wife is coming down, I get this thought in my mind, what she's going to say. And I think to myself, whoa, no, why would she say that? There's a million things she can say. And I got the whole thought in my mind, the whole line. And I said, no. And she walks in and she said, Elliot just called. George Siegel has just died. I knew those exact words. When I could get my breath, because it was a real wow moment. Mm. And uh, and I talk about it in the five minutes. And I said, honey, do you, do you know that I knew those exact words too? Elliot just called. George Siegel has just died. It just came right to me. And then I had to go through it. And then I called Elliot. Uh, you know, I didn't tell him at that point, but I called him back and I told him the story about, I'm going to send you lunch with Bill and Charlie. I'm sorry. I don't, we'll never get to see you guys do this because I loved it. You know, and I think you guys would have been fabulous. People would have loved you. Not studio. I would have put the money up for sure because what does it cost? Right. Two guys talking. That's it. Yeah. And, and then when I decided to do, it would never be seen again. And I said, no, because I'm a, I'm a very uh, strong believer in uh, that George is alive and well. I mean, I, I think there's other realms going on. I think there's other things going on. And I said, well, why did you put it away? So I decided that he will keep his, his lunch date. George will keep his lunch date. That's so on the end of this five minutes, it's there. And you could read what would have been yeah. dinner with you know, people have read it. I mean, I, I've gotten wonderful comments just on this five minutes. I mean, uh, I got like, like 75 likes and nobody dislikes. I mean, ah, that's good. That's hard I to mean, do on YouTube. Hard to do, but I love YouTube and you're always, I can see the most incredible performances and there's always, I can 4,000 people love it. And 28 people hated. I said, who are these 28 people? This, <laughs> This is Pavarotti singing. That's uh, <laughs> 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 Dorma. Don't think they're worth and- Look, I'm going to definitely check out that video and I'm definitely going to check out that script. I remain a huge fan of California Split and it's been awesome speaking to you today, Joey, hearing about the movie, hearing about your life. Uh, thank you so much for giving up your time today. This is so easy. You know, anytime you want to do this, I'm available. Thank you, Viv. Thank you. Thank you. It has just occurred to me, Joe, that we probably should have titled this podcast, especially as it has a movie theme this week, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. We've had The Ugly, Phil Helmuth. We've had The Good, California Split. Now it's time for The Bad, Money Plane. Uh, yeah, also kind of ugly in many ways. Now, before we we get into this, I, I wasn't aware. I was. It is, it is Edge who's in the movie, right, from WWE, or is it Triple H? <laughs> that was going to be my question to you. Who is adam 
Copeland. I'm going to assume that this guy is someone who comes from a different background. I don't think he's a professional actor because he basically just looks utterly confused in every scene. Like he either isn't sure what direction he's been given, can't remember what lines he's meant to deliver, or isn't really sure how to behave in any given moment in any given scene. Okay, so the first couple scenes of this movie, I was like, oh, he's like not such a bad actor. Like I genuinely believe that he's like a little bit confused and a little bit not sure what's going on. And then I realized he just looks like that all of the time, the entire movie. His eyes just got such wide bug eyes the entire time that you're like, oh, like this is just how he looks. And I don't even think that he's like confused to be in a movie. I think he just, that's just his face. His face just looks like all the time. So So he's a WWE star, basically. Yes, his name is Edge in WWE, but because I assume this wasn't made by WWE films, he can't go by Edge in the movie. He has to go by Adam Copeland. Now, uh, I didn't realize what was going on in this movie as far as behind the scenes, and I haven't looked up much about it. However, uh, I was watching this with a friend, and in the very first scene, when uh, there's a getaway driver, she's like, God, he really looks like Matthew Lawrence. And we all kind of <laughs> laugh because Matthew Lawrence has, you know, was like a star in the 90s. And his yeah. older brother, Joey Lawrence, was a star. And we we're like, ha, ha, ha. And I then mean, I see. I remember Joey Lawrence from the 1980s. He was a huge child star. Yes. Okay. So you do remember him. Okay. Now, then all of a sudden, like, we're watching the opening credits. And I'm like. Written by Adam Lawrence, directed by Adam Lawrence, and then the then the stars are going right. Adam Lawrence, Matthew Lawrence. It was the Lawrence brothers who are behind this movie. I think which it's is Andrew weird. Lawrence, by the way, not Adam Lawrence. Oh, sorry. What did I say? Adam. Sorry, a- Andrew. Yes, I meant to say Andrew Lawrence. They're all in the movie uh, in some pretty ridiculous roles, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So just to give the basic premise of this movie for anyone who didn't get a chance to see it, the idea is that the money plane is uh, an aircraft that flies over international waters, allowing all manner of nefarious gambling activities to take part on board. And Adam Copeland's character, Jack, has to put together this crew that is given the mission of taking down the money plane, not literally, not crashing the money plane, but robbing it of the $1 billion in crypto on board. The fact that that is the premise of the movie, that it has cryptocurrency in a safe on board the plane, tells you everything you need to know about this film. No thought, no research has gone into this. Logic has left the building. That part you can actually excuse a little bit. Like if the the crypto is on a thumb drive, right, is on something that isn't connected to the internet, an e-wallet, you know, I, I have one here, like... This is something you would physically need this, right? If my crypto's on here, like you couldn't just like download it. So that that part is like one of the least nonsensical things about it. <laughs> but this plot from from Jump Street, the very first scene of this movie, they're pulling they're trying to pull off a museum museum heist. They're trying to rob a painting from a museum. However, <laughs> just to be clear, Fortunately, there is a caption on screen that tells you it's an art museum because, and I appreciate that they were making a low budget movie and didn't have access to the right locations, but they've picked a warehouse that looks nothing like an art museum. Correct. This art museum, first of all, when it said art museum, I was like, is that the location or is that the name of one of the actors in this? Like, is there a guy (laughs) named Art Museum? Because it looked like it was the same font as the credits. So they're in this art museum, which has zero paintings in it. There's nothing on any of the walls. There's 
only men with guns in it. And he's the very first thing in this movie, he's like skulking around this art museum. And this happens throughout the whole movie. He's got, he wears an earpiece. Yes. And he talks to his team through the earpiece, but he's constantly within earshot of other people. This entire movie, he's like, I can't find the painting. Where's the painting? There's literally a security guard watching him talk to his ear. And when you said the security guards have guns, Joe, I think you need to be clear here. They've <laughs> yeah. got like machine guns. These yeah. aren't just like, you know, um, holstered pistols. These are actual machine guns. Which and, and I'm not sure what they are guarding, considering there is absolutely no, no art. <laughs> no. Um, which brings me to the key question about this movie. Yeah. Tonally, it's all over the shop. And part of me was thinking... Is this meant to be a comedy? Is this meant to be a spoof? And I think the movie is played for laughs at points. It it's is. It's funnier when it's not trying to be funny. But I think they're going for that kind of diehard vibe. They do want this to be taken seriously, even though there are meant to be moments of humor in this film. It's not an out-and-out -out comedy. It's not a spoof. No, it is not making fun of itself all of the time. Some of the time it is. Some of the time there's just like a pure ridiculous thing happens that's funny on purpose. Sometimes there's a pure ridiculous thing that happens that is meant to be serious. Okay, let's talk about the most ridiculous thing in this movie. So yeah. Frasier plays the villain. Kelsey Grammer plays a character called Darius Emmanuel Grouch III, better known as The Rumble. Now, yes. So two things about this. Kelsey Grammer is fantastic in this movie. He is really really good he is believable he delivers horrible lines incredibly well i don't know if he's just that talented or if he put a lot of work into this but he honestly owns the part like completely owns the part what i i would have rather seen a movie about how he became the rumble <laughs> that's the way more Joe, interesting we thing do to not me. need a prequel to money play <laughs> but and he does what my my absolute favorite thing in this movie is how many times the words money plane are uttered and how yep. many times people explain what the money plane is. And Darius uh, Lawrence Grouch the third is the first of many people to be like, well, the money plane is such and such. Yeah. Um, as far as other famous actors in this movie are concerned, um, Dr. Christmas Jones, Denise Richards, has a very small role as Jack's wife. Yeah. And then Pipe Guy appears. This is Thomas Jane, right? Why are you calling him Pipe Guy? I feel like Thomas Jane was like actually a legitimate actor for a little while. He was in The Mist, in which I, he was awesome and is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Uh, he did play The Punisher not so well, but there was a minute that he was like a, a big Hollywood star. The, the reason I'm calling him Pipe Guy is because that's the only defining characteristic of an underwritten role. This guy comes on screen smoking a pipe. We know nothing about him, um, but he's just there to tell Jack that it was gambling that got you into this mess. My and sources tell me there's like any time they need to advance the plot, he calls Jack and he goes, look, my sources are telling me this. Oh, man. Um, we need to talk about the money plane itself, Joe. So we've yeah. got... Joey Lawrence, who, again, is reasonably well-known as a child star and music star of the 80s. Joey Lawrence is the concierge. Al Sapienza from The Sopranos and Brotherhood 
He plays the book. So the two of them welcome everyone on board the plane. Joey Lawrence looks directly down the barrel of the camera a couple of times, which is one of the most disconcerting moments of this very disconcerting movie. Um, and we get to the poker because the very first gambling activity that takes place on board the money plane is that No Limit Texas Hold'em is going to be played on the casino floor. So just again... Not really, though. <laughs> just, just, just again, set the scene. This is all about criminals gambling on stuff that you can't gamble about, gamble legally anywhere. So you have to be on the money plane above international waters. I don't know whether the filmmakers are aware of this, but you can play high stakes, no limit Texas Hold'em legally in many casinos around the world. Uh, to be fair, Hold'em is like the warm up game, right? This is like the game to like get ev- get the juices flowing, to get everyone in the gambling mood. However, from what I can tell, they don't really play Hold'em. Well, (laughs) I'm going to read out my notes here as I wrote them as I was watching the movie. First of all, they're playing with the cheapest chips that you could buy. By the way, that was note number one when I worked on the card counter. Literally, it was was those exact chips. It was, (laughs) do not use these chips in your movie. This is incredibly important. Do not use them. No expense spent on the props at all. Um, So I've got the character Reed punches a waiter for no reason. Guy with a fake moustache arrives. Game begins. Appears to be a sit and go. So this is Matthew Lawrence, right? Playing the cowboy. Yes. Is Is this just really bad makeup? Or is the idea that this character is playing the role of a cowboy and likes to wear a fake moustache? I couldn't work out which of the two it was meant to be. The... No, the it was bad makeup. Okay, fine. It, it, it was absolutely bad makeup. Yeah, no, that was that was supposed to be a real guy. By the way, you mentioned him punching the uh, the waiter. Th- the way this scene goes down, by the way, this really nasty guy is like sexually harassing a waitress. She walks away. An effeminate male waiter comes over, who he punches in the face. There's no sound effect <laughs> whatsoever for this punch. It's a completely silent punch. It's true. And then the waiter like like does like a very effeminate like crying and whining and runs off. And there's a few other times I think they might have run out of money for foleying this movie because there's a few scenes where like there's just like silent gunshots and silent yeah. punches. I, I I don't think the sound mix is one of the strongest things about this movie. I'm not sure what is the strongest thing about the movie. So here's how the poker game goes down. There is one hand of poker in this film that we are able to follow to some degree. We don't see the pre-flop action. Nope. But what we do see is that the dealer shuffles the deck in the middle of a hand, (laughs) deals the flop with no burn card, then burns a card and deals the turn immediately with no betting action between the flop and the turn, then just announces the board. The table shows four of diamonds, seven of clubs, five of hearts, queen of spades. The table shows. And Jack, our hero, has... Jack of spades, four of hearts for bottom pair. I don't know what Jack is doing in this hand. I don't know how he got to this point, but he feels that a pair of fours with a Jack kicker is a strong enough hand to move all in with. Hold on a second. Now, as someone who now is um, trying to be as generous as possible with poker hands, before I get to the generosity part, Sorry, part of Jack's backstory is he's supposed to be like one of the best gamblers in the world, one of the best poker players in the world. Um, 
but he's like lost his edge. And yes, James is right. He has Jack four. There's a four on board. He shoves all in. I think he's supposed to be bluffing. I think I don't, you're giving this film far too much credit. I think yeah, I know what I'm saying. As, as someone who's worked in this role as poker coordinator, I'm like, okay, maybe he's supposed to be bluffing. No, and, no, no. Uh, he gets called, misses the river, and loses. But here's the thing: h- h- him losing is 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 bad. Like I don't but, I don't know to what end this but this happened. You're, you're missing the best part of this hand, which is after he shoves with Jack Four, our friend in the cowboy hat and the moustache goes, damn, thanks for making me feel alive. I call. <laughs> which is the most scenery-chewing moment of the entire film. Um, oh, I, by the way, so and after, after the cowboy guy, Matthew Lawrence, wins the hand, there's a round of applause that comes from nowhere because there's like four people in the room. So they had so, money to spend on that. <laughs> this is what is really annoying about this. After showdown, uh, fake moustache guy has a full house. He eliminates two players because funny enough, Jack's pair of fours is not good. And this is where you realize when they move on to the next game, which is Russian roulette. That's right. Having won the poker game, our cowboy friend is allowed to choose the next game and he elects to play Russian roulette. Which, A, is ridiculous. B, is a really bad idea on a plane. Do not <laughs> fire guns on planes. I learned or that anywhere, from Goldfinger. But, um, but what I realized then is there is nobody involved in this production. Nobody. I, I find it really weird that you would make a movie about gambling, and yet none of the people involved in writing it or directing it clearly know anything about gambling. The poker game makes no sense. And when the Russian roulette game begins, and bear in mind there are two players in a game of Russian roulette, Al Sapienza is going, 20 to 1, I'm offering 20 to 1. Who'll take 20 to 1? 20 to 1 on what? Because just to be clear, it's even money who wins. And if you're betting on whether the person is going to fire a blank or whether they'll fire the bullet, there's one bullet in five chambers. So you're five to one against to die. So where 20 to one is coming from, I don't know. I don't know what what the bet is, but I'll take those odds because I don't know possibly what you could be offering 20 to one on. 20 to one's good odds as long as you're the person, you know, as long as you're the person not pulling the trigger uh, towards yourself. Also, what I like is that um, saying no to this game of Russian roulette is apparently not an option for only one person. On the plane, who happens to be one of the heroes' team, who's forced into this game, who never actually tries to say no, he just doesn't want to go first. His he's not like, <laughs> oh, I choose not to gamble on this game. He's like, I just don't want to go first. <laughs> when the guy shoots himself, is it meant to be funny? Because it wasn't. I think so. Yeah, I think it's right. supposed to be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There is a great moment then, because of course, while all the gambling activities are taking place, and by the way, there is an extended period of time where we have to endure all of the nonsense stuff that they're betting on, which I think is meant to be really shocking and upsetting, but it's just really dumb. It is it is shocking and upsetting, but again, I can't tell what they're actually betting on, right? Like it's clear they're betting on people being killed and like in saw type situations, right? Like just these unsuspecting people on video feeds. Uh, and how long they're meant to survive for, but th- we're never actually told what situation they're in or what no. the timer is or anything like that. And to be honest, I'm glad because that it was like really unnecessarily brutal. Some of it, yeah. Uh, but uh, it was 
So what, what are you betting on? So while that's going on, Jack and his colleague, who's impersonating one of the um, flight attendants, they have to break into the cockpit. And they take down the pilot. And then there's this great moment when Jack goes into the cockpit where he realizes that <laughs> planes have co-pilots. So good. Fucking Two pilots? <laughs> and there's then the m- most strangely choreographed, least authentic, Tiny over-cramped fight scene, <laughs> fight scene imaginable. Um, and then Jack spends the rest of the film sat in the cockpit with his confused stare talking to Frazier on FaceTime. Yeah, so you've got this guy, this WWE superstar, six foot five, jacked up, muscly, low rate, low rent rock, who does nothing throughout the movie except sit still, flying a plane, having various phone conversations, uh, and does speak to uh, the Rumble on FaceTime. My favorite part about all of this is that, as an acting choice, he chooses to tap the Bluetooth on the side of his head every time he's starting or ending a phone call. And it's so amazing that these, this, this elite team of robbers has actual Bluetooth headsets that he has to constantly turn oh, off and on. Um, so there's a couple of things I learned from this movie. One is that you can always distract a guard with a sexy dance. And yep. the other mm-hmm. thing is that when you are downloading something, 44% is a very significant number because it's emphasized again and again and again we're at 44 percent. 44 percent. we're at 44 uh, percent oh this here's is what, what i learned i learned that you can stack up to three bodies in an airplane bathroom <laughs> and no one will find them so uh, meanwhile we, we forgot to mention by the way that only three members of this four-person gang are on the plane because andrew lawrence who is also the movie's co-writer and director plays the fourth member of the gang yeah who has to set up some radar station in the middle of the desert yeah, so there's this amazing scene that Andrew Lawrence wrote for himself. For some reason, wrote himself out of the heist, but into the man on the ground role, at which he has all of this random electronic equipment that he's pre- very clearly pretending to press buttons on for like two or three minutes, going, oh man, pop, 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 P- plugging wires into things. Oh. Um, it's not hooked up to anything and i think this is supposed to be comedic relief too because when he's like sitting there and he like opens a banana with a knife uh, and he kicks his legs up just sitting on the ground and goes this job sucks i think he's talking about his actual job on the movie right i see (laughs) yeah um we have the most ridiculous fight scene of all time which includes death by bottles um and then the ear in the ear ripping Oh, man, that was just plain nasty. Yeah, this. Uh, what's really funny is, so I- I'm expecting like one or two okay lines in this movie. So right before they go to fight the uh, the flight attendant, uh, who's part of the the uh, the robbery team, this this guy, the two, two of these bad guys look at each other and goes, you take care of the princess, I'll take care of the other guy. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? Like, what? Do you- why not complete the metaphor? Like, but- what? Do you think when they're writing the screenplay, they thought, we'll come back to that, we'll fix it later, and then never yeah. got around to it? Maybe, or the, or the guy delivering the line just couldn't remember it, and that's just what they went with. <laughs> they only had time for one take. Yeah, but no, he doesn't take care of the princess. She takes care of him with bottles. Um, Andrew Lawrence is rescued by a drone, because uh, oh, Pipe no, no, Guy no. has Dude. control of the drone. Dude, it's not just a drone. We're talking about like a Target 
199.99 like consumer drone that has a pistol taped to it. It is the mo- it is a flying pistol more or less uh, with with blazing accuracy. <laughs> Destroyed by Thomas Jane, who's at home cooking dinner for Jack's daughter, which consists of spaghetti and carrots. Oh, man. Cooking spaghetti while a commando unit invades the house and he has to take them out. So to cut long story short, as you would expect, our gang is successful in raiding the crypto from the safe on board the money plane but they decide they're not going to give it to the rumble instead they're going to give it to a number of charities including unicef and then strap on parachutes no no hold on a second this is one of my favorite lines they say we're going to give away the money to several anonymous charities <laughs> not that we're going to give the money away anonymously to several to several they're going to give it to charities that no one knows I don't know how you get the money to anonymous charities, but hey, they're an elite squad. They're going to figure Man. it out. And you talk about running out of money for Foley work. I mean, the parachutes they strap on are blatantly backpacks, like the one you used to buy from Millets when you were going back to school. <laughs> and then after you know they betray the rumble to the people who run the money plane that he was behind the heist, they then send a squad to kill the rumble. And we get the rumble's last stand, or as I like to call it, poor man Scarface. Yeah. Definitely. Just Kelsey Grammer, again, not phoning it in, completely giving his all to this scene, just screaming ah, and firing a machine gun. Um, I've got, to me, my my biggest plot hole with this movie, of which there are many, is once they take control of the plane, why did, don't they just land it somewhere <laughs> of their choosing? <laughs> Why do they have to jump out? Just land it. You have a plane. You can literally go anywhere you want. And clearly, to try and justify the fact that at no point do you ever feel like you're on a plane and not on a set at Burbank, they explain to all of the passengers on board the plane that we employ the best pilots in the world, so you don't feel anything whatsoever. Apart from the scene where during the fight between Jack and the co-pilot, He's literally banging the guy's head into the paddles. So the plane is kind of like shaking around a little bit. I mean, oh, there is a scene where they almost crash for no reason where he's like, I can't like I I can't (laughs) remember. He just like loses control of the plane. Oh man! I mean, I'm trying to find some saving graces in this film. I'm struggling. It has one of those bizarre final shots ever. Of course, we fast forward three months later. Everything's all right. And Jack's in a great position to pick up that painting. He was trying to win, trying to steal at the start of the movie because it's now in Istanbul. And there's an overextended shot of him, his daughter and Denise Richards all being happy together. Yeah, this this is pretty bad. And here's what I'll say about comparing it to Danny's Game, a film that we reviewed earlier this year with Lance Bradley, and did posit could well be the worst poker-themed movie ever made. At least the people who made Danny's Game, at least the guy who wrote Danny's Game, clearly liked poker and clearly wanted to make a good poker movie, but didn't have the talent or the budget. These people don't know what they're talking about. There is nothing authentic. There is nothing accurate in this film. It's confusing. You know, we can poke fun about the final hand of the Cincinnati kid. We can pull apart the uh, the final hand in Casino Royale or 
the fact that it was a cooler, not a, um, a hero called by Bond against a sheep. At least technically, the game is played correctly. There's not shuffling in the middle of hands and the flop followed by the turn with no betting round in between. No detail in this movie is correct. No, absolutely nothing about it. And what I, what, the way I compared it to Danny's game was that at only 82 minutes, it felt longer. Um, it, again, this movie wasn't like total pain for me. Uh, no, me and my friend Danielle liked it. <clears throat> Raquel hated it. Raquel was like really, really angry, actually, and far preferred Danny's game to this one. Um, yeah, so uh, it felt longer. But here's the point I would like to make. <laughs> We've been talking about this movie for 25 minutes, and it was only 82 minutes total. <laughs> We've almost talked. Oh, I'm sorry, We've Joe, because we're we're not done with it yet. We're going to continue talking about it. In fact, we're going to get a third opinion because Money Plane is the subject of this week's Super Fan Quiz. We are joined by Brian Fahey from Dublin. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing, James? Delighted to be here. Hi, Joe. How are you? It sounds like you said delighted to be here through gritted teeth. Is that because of the movie Money Plane? Well, you have much to answer for, as I (laughs) Much to answer for. Brian, we have just spent, and Joe actually added up the minutes, 25 minutes discussing this film, generally rubbishing this film. But here is a hashtag fun fact. Patrick did not hate Money Plane. Patrick found it quite entertaining. So at least one of the four people who had to watch this film, (laughs) who were forced to watch this film, didn't come away feeling really angry. Well, all I can ask about that is how many times did you watch it, Joe? Uh, I watched it once. Why? Did you watch it more than once? Oh, three long, long, painful times. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> three three times watching Money Plane is almost the length of one good movie. So That's f- It's four hours of my life that I can never have back. I mean, <laughs> I will be so disappointed on your behalf, Brian, if you don't win this I guess, quiz. yeah, was that the no, rationale? Not as like, as I the, the rationale was like, look, I had to watch this movie once. I'm, I, If I do not win the prize here, I'm going to be so fucking pissed. I might as well watch it two more times and uh, make sure I win. Is that what's going on here? Well, I, all I could say is I got into bed last night thinking about money playing. And that's, oh, that's just... You're welcome. Know, that, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I am so, so sorry. Uh, before, oh, the pain. Before we get into the quiz, because... We don't want to spend any more time discussing the awfulness of Money Plane. Tell us about yourself. What is your story? Well, I'm 47, married, two children, two jo- two dogs, not two jobs. Uh, I'm manager in a builder's merchant, so I kind of figured you'd guessed I didn't work in IT, James, given hey. I had to tell you that I had to learn how to use Zoom to make this happen. So <laughs> first time for everything. Dude, I got to tell you, you're nailing it. Like, your lighting, your background, your camera angle. It looks like you were, like, doing TV interviews through most of quarantine. So, well done. <laughs> well, I can assure you I haven't been. But anyway, <laughs> you never know. By the way, the Edge, star of Money Plane, is 47 years old with two children. Just saying. I don't know. <laughs> you guys have a lot in common so far. What a connection. That's about it. So, Brian, I know that you are a regular viewer of our Sunday Million streams on a Monday night. We appreciate your contributions. There is the opportunity for you to play the Sunday Million because we're offering two, two $109 tickets, plus some PokerStars merch, if you can conquer Joe Stapleton in this quiz. Well, he offered two tickets in order to rope some gullible mug in to watch this abomination of a film. <laughs> all I can say is 
it worked. <laughs> now, there were a couple of times during our review where I basically pulled it back and avoided saying things which I knew were answers to questions. I don't think the questions are that difficult. I do think, well, let's just see how it goes. If he watched it three times, he's got to have the edge well, in this quiz. I had to do a lot of biting the lip on the stream on Monday night because I just wanted to let go with this. But anyway, <laughs> I said nothing. <laughs> okay, Brian, you get to go first. There are 10 questions. Please give me a number between 1 and 10. Now let's start with number one. Number one. There are many random things they bet on on the money plane. What does Trey bet on lasting 17 minutes? Oh, that old classic that is man versus cobra. <laughs> man versus cobra. <laughs> is that what that was? <laughs> That's what that was, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, what question would you like? Uh, well, Brian went with one. I'll take. I'm gonna start with my lucky number, number nine. Number nine. What alias does Jack use for the heist? It's either it's either Captain or Corporal, right? Those are the no, two. no, 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 no. That that's the stupid nickname that he has to use when he's on the FaceTime call with Frazier. The alias that he uses oh. when he's when he's like pretending to be someone on the money plane. Oh, I'll take the choices. Is it Mr. McGillicuddy, Philip Monroe, the concierge, or Mr. Reed? Philip Monroe. It is Philip Monroe. But yes, Brian, I'm sure, as a fellow Irish citizen, you were <laughs> not a big fan of Mr. McGillicuddy. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they said it so many times. Oh, every know, every know. time yeah. someone looked at Mr. McGillicuddy, Mr. McGillicuddy. Look at the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the score is 2-1. And Brian, you get to choose next. One and nine have gone. Uh, two. How much debt does Jack have? What does he owe? I don't know, is it the value of the painting that he should have stolen? Or give us the choices there. Okay, it's the amount of money which Frazier says he bought up. It's the amount of debt that he owes. Is it $1 million, $10 million, $40 million, or $1 billion? I'll go $40 million. It is $40 million for a point, and the score is 3-1. Joe, it's your question. Let's go with que uh, question number 10, please. Question number 10. How does J.R. Crockett die on the money plane? J.R. Crockett. That's the thing. You're asking yourself, who the fuck is J.R. Crockett? Yeah. I'll, t I'll take the choices. I don't know if it's going to help, really. <laughs> okay. He is executed for cheating at poker. Russian roulette. He's stabbed by Isabella. He's thrown out of the plane by Jack. J.R. Crockett. Uh, Russian roulette. Correct. It is the name of the character. That staple aeroplane game, Russian Roulette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the score is 3 2, and Brian, it's your question. You can have um, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, or 8. Oh, 3. Number 3. What is Mr. Vitelli's occupation? He is uh, an arms dealer. He is an arms dealer for two points. 
it's so weird when they have that argument about like him, how many people he's killed when they're supposed to be human traffickers, <laughs> yeah, and the guy gets all up. Like, what a weird yeah. conversation that was. Absolutely, yeah. every conversation in this every, movie is yeah. weird. There wasn't one scene in this film that wasn't absolutely ridiculous. Not one. <laughs> Joe, four, five, six, seven, or eight. Uh, let's go low. He's. Uh, let's go four. What's the name of Jack's best friend? This is why I said pipe guy, Joe. Yeah, right. Jack's best friend. I'll take the choices. Is it Harry, Benny, Jonah, or Joe? It's Harry. It's Harry for one point. Five, three, the score. Quite the game, ladies and gentlemen. Quite the game. <laughs> Five, six, seven, or eight, Brian. Five. What is the name of Darius Grouch's assistant? Roach. It is Roach for two Ooh, points. I think that locks it up right there. Come on, Joe. Watching it three times, those for you, Joseph. <laughs> There's plenty of points available for question six, and I think you may stand a chance. Question six, then. Two points for the main question, one point for the bonus. Which actor was a former WWE wrestler? Would I have to say the actor's name? Yes. Adam Copeland. Adam Copeland for two points. And the bonus question, what was the name of the wrestler? Edge. There we go. Now the point is 7-6, and it's really close going into the final round. Seven or eight. And let's go. It never comes for me, seven. Ah. I've got a that. nice, <laughs> easy question, Brian, to give you a significant advantage what is Darius Grouch better known as? Rumble. The Rumble for two points. <laughs> and Joe, question eight. You're going to get this one. Complete the quote. The money plane has you covered. You want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator? I don't think I'd remember the exact quote. Uh, you you can what? bet on it. Two words are said over and over and over again in this film. Money plane? Correct, for two points. <laughs> but it doesn't make any difference. Congratulations, Brian, by a score of nine to eight. You win <laughs> Superfan versus Stapes. Your pain was worth it. You well are going to get Joe. two <laughs> Sunday Million tickets. I wasn't expecting get... it to be that close. <laughs> it's always close when it's something that Joe's watched within the last 24 hours. But, yeah. Brian, you get the tickets. You're going to get some Pokestar swag. You are a winner, my friend. Thanks very much. If I could just say to the two of you that over the last two years when the whole world has been riding this shit train, the one constant throughout it all is you've always improved the mood and the two of you have always made me laugh, both on the stream and the podcast. And for that, I'd be eternally grateful. I think the world of the two of you. And Joe, just one final one for you. Don't ever leave me alone in your fucking hotel room. I'm definitely going to interfere with your toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian. And actually... Interestingly, I believe that Shit Train is the sequel to Money Plane coming in 2022. Give me a call. I'll watch that for you as well. Brian, thank you so much for volunteering. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a delight. It's been sir. an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, lads. Thanks, Brian. All the best.
All right, my babies, that's just about all the time we got for this week's show. Coming up next week, it's a streamer special yes. talking to G.J. Reginald, a.k.a. G.J. Reggie, and Tom Hayward, a.k.a. Magin. Yeah. And, uh, As we know, because it came up on our Sunday Million stream this Monday, G.J., along with Pi, has launched the Dare to Stream competition, so we'll get into that. And we did reference, Joe, that we are taking a week off from the Sunday Million. In fact, the Sunday Million isn't even running this week. Instead, it's the Bounty Builder Series main event, and Tom is going to be hosting live cards up coverage of that tournament alongside Ali Shaban. Awesome. So we're going to talk to them about uh, sort of their first sort of uh, dive into the commentary streets, not broadcasting themselves, but broadcasting a different final table. Yes. Um, Tom and Ali, no idea what to expect. They may well run a mock. We will definitely <laughs> be running a mock next week. There is at least one question in there. And I guess it's the usual point in the show, Joe, where we ask people if they do have questions they want us to answer. If there are poker issues they need us to give a ruling on, they should use the dedicated channels on the PokerStars Discord server. And one last time, I am going to appeal for super fans get on the discord comment on the show ask us questions but more than anything please volunteer to be a super fan we offer prizes that's right we got all kinds of prizes and you get to choose the subject that is it though my babies that is all the time we have got for this week's show for james hardigan i am joe stapleton smell you later